Big Fluff. These may seem like a happy-go-lucky child's play place, but it's much, much more than that. Willie's was built in 1996, the brainchild of Jerry Robert Willis. If that name sounds familiar to you, it should. Jerry was one of the last century's most sick and sadistic serial killers. Jerry spent most of the time cultivating similar sickos. I mean, these were the most depraved people you could ever imagine. Often, Jerry and his crew would whisk away unsuspecting families to the super happy fun room. Once inside, the families would be treated to a birthday cake and a private show by Willie Weasel. The shows would always end the same way. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's September, so you know what that means. Nick Cage month! (laughs) Nick Cage! We haven't existed that long. We haven't been able to establish a lot of traditions, but I'm very excited for this to be our first reoccurring month. Uh, because there, we could live a life. We could live a hundred lifetimes and do a show every week, and I don't think we could ever recap every <laughs> maligned no, Nicholas Cage. Movie. Every maligned Nick Cage movie. So, so I'm excited to to take a crack at another four of them uh, this month. Uh, because, and I we said this last year, but if people weren't familiar, I I think it's safe to say we're both fans of Nicolas Cage. Like we, we Oh, really, unequivocally. Yes. Yeah. Love, love the cage. We really love Nicolas Cage. Uh, I think that he is a good actor, even though he does a lot of uh, questionable material. I enjoy his work and I find him to be a unique and fascinating star. Well, I think if you go back and listen to last year's, I think right at the beginning, we hit it on the head that Nick Cage always gives the exact performance the movie requires. Yeah. And you know what's funny is we did say that last year and that was our our working theory. And I feel like it was really validated because and I I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but I watched recently a thing on YouTube that was whatever. I want to say it was GQ, but it was like one of those sites does a like such and such actor breaks down their most iconic roles. And they I think that's did, a GQ. I think it is GQ. Thing. But yeah, they they did it with Nick Cage. And listening to it, it's like yes, that's one hundred percent right. The amount of thought that he puts into the project, like the because he'll. I mean, he was talking about doing the adaptation, and he literally said that he studied Charlie Kaufman, where he just hung around him, and you know, interviewed him, wanted to see Charlie Kaufman, what he looked like when he was angry, wanted to see what he was like. You know, when he was happy, just like got every range of emotion, recorded him, studied him to to make sure that he was portraying him accurately, which, again, I don't think he does that on maybe a movie like Willy's Wonderland. But he like, like we said, it, whatever the role requires, if it is a role that's going to stretch him as an actor and re- really require him to put in the work, he puts in the work if it's a silly ridiculous role where he's supposed to be campy and fun he's gonna play it campy and fun yeah um so i'm definitely excited to tackle four more nick cage movies 
uh, roughly covering a half a percent of his filmography. Well, we know. So we just covered how Nicolas Cage approaches his movies. But I think maybe one more thing is we should remind people how you and I tackle Nicolas Cage month, which is to say that we motorboat the son of a bitch. It's the only way we know how. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we are motorboating the son of a bitch right from Jump Street uh, with another very recent one of our more recent uh, movie reviews. 2021. Uh, yeah. yeah. 2021. Willie's Wonderland. Yes. Which this is our third 2021 movie. Yeah. 2021. <laughs> We're saying, you know, how you do that thing where you say a word too much and then it loses all meaning. I feel like that's already happening. With Semantic you. satiation is what it's called. There you go. So yeah, you learned something listening to the pod today too. So twenty twenty one. All right. Yeah. So Willie's Wonderland, which is, I'm sure, for legal reasons, not Chuck E. Cheese, but a very Chuck E. Cheese like kids' birthday party restaurant. Where Nicholas Except this place serves hot dogs, and that's the only difference. That, yeah, and it's a weasel instead of a rat. A rat. Yeah, but Nicholas Cage, <clears throat> some kind of drifter, who's he, he is never been a more ambiguous and uh, mysterious character than he has as the janitor in Willy's Wonderland. Yeah, the janitor, which is his name, which he that's. So I was getting ready to set up. He's like drifting through town. Uh, his tires are blown out. And in order to get his car fixed, he has to work in Willy's Wonderland for the night as a janitor. Before that point, he's, I guess, has no <laughs> identifying qualities <laughs> until he no. becomes the janitor. He's a cipher. And and so, yeah, so he he is recruited to work. In Willy's Wonderland throughout the night. He does not speak in this role. I think we should just talk about that. Just right off the jump. He, other than some grunts and yells uh, while engaged in Mortal Kombat with these animatronic characters, uh, he has not a single line of spoken dialogue. Yes. And so... Which, he, if there's proof that they could make a Legend of Zelda movie pitch perfect to the video games, I think this is it. I mean, add some angry, like, roosters. Yeah. yeah, just some roosters attacking, and that's yeah, that's all the sound effects that you need. Uh, but yeah, he says no, no dialogue whatsoever. No. So he has no dialogue. He works in Willy's. Then there's also a group of teenagers led by Liv who show up. Maybe to rescue him, maybe to burn the place down, maybe both. And then... Definitely, the initial intent is to burn the place down. Yeah. And then they realize, oh, wait, there's this dude trapped in there. Yes. And then they all end up inside. The animatronic robots come to life, start killing people, and Nicolas Cage starts killing them. And eventually about... 40 minutes to an hour in we get the backstory of what's happening <laughs> yeah we get a much more of a reveal into the insidious underbelly of this murderous which is to say that children's the, restaurant that it was like all children's restaurants it was started by a group of serial killers uh with 
you know, who were picking off families one by one when the police got wise to what they were doing as again, this is exactly what happened with Chuck E. Cheese. They had to change it for legal reasons. But then the owner uh, performed a satanic ritual in order to possess the animatronic creatures to then still kill people and then struck a deal with the town uh, to send uh, people from out of town who are passing right, they through. wouldn't kill the townsfolk if they gave them a steady supply of random passers-by yes and so that that's sort of all the setup and then all of it is really just an excuse to see nicholas cage beat up animatronic robots as if you needed one well i mean you know we're I, so look, cards on the table up front. I I enjoyed this movie. I same. I I really liked it. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I I will say that I think they are really testing the limits of what we will all accept. <laughs> like like they know that we want to see Nicolas Cage beat up animatronic robots, and they aren't terribly interested in making it about anything more than that. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> yeah, it's um. There's some window dressing. Uh, they also throw in some light dusting of scared teenager movie. Half-heartedly, though. Yeah, half-heartedly. Like, the teenagers go down way too easy. Yeah, the teenagers go down way too easy. They don't even really commit to the tropes. Like, even the two teenagers that end up hooking up feel like they they're, <laughs> they don't want to be doing it. It's just like, well, this is the part of the script where two teenagers hook up and die, so... Yeah, where they... they we get drew the short the straws murder in the murder playland and then get killed, which I mean, maybe so maybe this is a way to, to approach it, because like I said, I enjoy this movie. I think we're going to spend a lot of time on the silver linings part. But I think, you know, at the beginning here, we're going to talk about, you know, why this is maligned, why yeah. uh, people might not enjoy it. I would say for me, I think it's safe to say that this is a very premise driven movie instead of a character driven movie, which can be OK Except it is not like I said, it's very uninterested in exploring even the like, I don't think it would have taken a lot to to really flesh out these characters and, and make us understand them. But the movie just doesn't care. And it doesn't like so I, I spent a lot of time watching people do things and not understanding why they were doing them. Yeah, like premise will get the train out of the station, but it doesn't have enough juice to get it to the destination. Which and I think part of that too starts with the fact of why wait to reveal what's happening? I think that that's maybe the first thing that I would just know. Like if I had been asked by which I was not when they were in the planning stages. I was and I didn't have the time. But you know, in the in the planning stages, everything that cuz we played the clip like that sets it up. Why not just start with that? Why not just tell us out the gate? I don't think anything was gained by slow playing it. And in fact, I think it hurt the movie by being so unclear what was happening for so long. Yeah, this isn't like... <clears throat> no one's going to see a movie about a taciturn Nick Cage cleaning up a condemned children's birthday restaurant. And that's it. So, of course, it's going to be sinister. Right. Well, it's I mean, OK, so now here's the other thing, too, that kind of I think goes hand in hand with this, which is what is Nick? Kate, what is the janitor doing? What is this character? We, what, what are any of his motivations 
Because again, so he's drinking energy drinks, playing pinball and beating and beating animatronic (laughs) robots to death. Yeah, because so he's driving through town. We don't know why. We don't know where he's coming from. We don't know where he's headed to. All of that, I think, is fine. But then he stopped from doing that. He, again, doesn't talk, but he like, you know, they're trying to fix his car. He pulls out a credit card. They're like, oh, we don't take those. We get him to being the janitor, which fine. Again, he doesn't talk. So he has no questions about how any of this works, what he's being asked to do. He's not, he doesn't seem surprised to be asked to, it's an odd request to be a janitor overnight in a Willy's Wonderland. No reaction to that, completely blank faced. Then he just starts cleaning. Okay, I'm still fine at this point. But then when the first animatronic robot attacks him, he kills it, puts it in a garbage bag, and goes back to cleaning as if nothing happened. That's a strange reaction. Yeah, that that doesn't track with any way that humans behave. And I to the and so then the other thing is all throughout this movie, he sets an alarm. When the alarm goes off, he drinks an energy drink and he plays penball and he at the end does a little dance which is to be, to be clear delightful but just a joy but it is so it's not even like because i could understand he's working all through the night their energy drinks he's he's a very meticulous man so he's figured out how much he needs to space out these energy drinks to stay up all night i would understand that don't understand why he's playing penball and also he seems to be unable to not do this. It is like a, it, compulsion. a compulsion. Yeah. But we don't know why. And to the point where, so I'm going to say this, where I'm like, there was a point in the movie where his behavior was so strange that I was like, is it going to turn out that he's actually an animatronic robot and he's following some kind of loop like Westworld? And that's what I thought what a was. What twist that would have been. That would have been great. And that's where I thought we were headed. No. He just He's just a dude that really digs pinball and beating up animatronic robots. And who has no reactions to bizarre situations. Like, it almost seems like they're going to go the Riddick route and do sequels to explore more about this, you know, mysterious character. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, th- I think that is the biggest thing is I, I really w- I wanted to understand their thought process on this character because I think then it even borders on we're doing this movie because we're doing Nick Cage months as we've already said we love Nick Cage I'm super into it I'm sure I might not have watched this movie had Nicolas Cage not been in it he's a big name to get you didn't really ask him to do much though (laughs) he doesn't speak he doesn't have a lot of character motivation it's really fun to see him dance while he plays pinball and beat up animatronic robots but that's just scraping the service of what Nicholas Kate again, as we always say, he'll play whatever role is asked of him. You could have given him a lot more. You could have given him anything else. And I think even something as simple as understanding, you know, I like this is me, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. But like, what if Nicholas Cage is driving through town because it's his kid's birthday party and he is a bad father who's missed the last 10 years of his kid's life and he's promising to be there this time and then you know genre as you know sort of emotional storytelling the thing that stops him from getting to his kid's birthday party is a terrorized kid's birthday party place but he has to overcome fighting these roads so that's his whole thing i have to get my car back 
so these guys, the only way they're going to give it back is if I make it through the night. So I can't leave. So I have to defeat these robots because I'm getting to my son or daughter. Right. That would have been enough. I don't think it needed anything more than those two set, you know, that much and, of a motivation. And hell, you could keep him silent and just have him read a letter that his kid sent. Or listen to a kid's voicemail. Right. Yeah. Like you can. Yeah. You could have the opening scene could be him with a phone up to his ear, not talking. And, I'll, you know, a mother of a child being like, you better be here this time. Right. It could be like the kid saying, Daddy, I hope to see you for my birthday. And then the mom comes in. And it's like, you bastard, you better be here. And then he's like. Rrr. And then he just hangs up. Yeah. I I just it needed something. And then at least because like, I don't know, the, the kids, the teenagers show up to save him and they're like, get out of here. These things are trying to kill you. And he just goes back to cleaning. And it's like, why? Why do you keep? defaulting to cleaning at this point when it's very clear that these guys have set you up to die. Yeah, it. There are some flaws in the logic of this film. And then and I mean, he's the most glaring case. But then I, I think even with the, like you kind of see it with every character where like the teenagers are, you know, the one the one is very clear live is probably the best written character. I completely understand everything I need to know about her. She makes total sense to me. But she's the only one with a backstory connected to the world that makes sense. Yes. Uh, and some degree the sheriff, but the sheriff's a little shaky. Well, the, the, the townsfolk, they're enough of a villainous trope that it works. Yeah, but like Liv's friends, first they don't want to go inside, and then... They sort of fall into the building, like, by accident. While trying to cover it in gasoline to light it on fire. Yeah, they want to burn it down. They don't want to go inside. Then they end up inside. And then, again, like we said, the two characters, just because this seems to be what's asked of them for uh, the tropes of a teen horror movie, they just decide to have sex. And it's a very baffling decision from two characters who go from, I don't want to be here, to, I'm so turned on by being here. Which, I think, again, is as simple as... What if they just wanted to bang in the in the creepy like right? Because I don't know that you could have done a more stereotypical sex pot than the girl in that little dyad. Yeah, and again, and her boyfriend is just horny teenage boy who doesn't care. Like, is very singular in his focus. He doesn't care about his as friends. As are many teenage boys. Right. I think they both track. It's just, it's weird to have them go, I don't want to go inside and they're forced inside. But now and that the, we're here, let's the, fuck. Yeah. Which, like, if you just had them, like, we're going to sneak inside that place and bang. Again, clear motivation. I I think that's it. I just didn't understand why characters were doing the things they were doing. And I don't think it would have taken much to explain it. <laughs> Well, yeah, the only characters, like like you said, that I think you understand are Liv and the villains. And the sheriff, which I guess right, she's a like villain, but she's... Villains. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would even say the, the, like, whatever he was, the deputy or whatever that guy's official name was, the, the, the guy partnered with the sheriff didn't make a lot of sense either. <laughs> he was... Well, I mean, you always have to have the one, like, reluctant villain, kind of. Which makes sense, but he was so he was another person that seemed to bounce back and forth depending on the scene of what it yeah. was he was doing in any given scene. 
Because a lot of times he was trying to stand up to her. Because again, if you want to have a guy that like doesn't want to do it, but gets pushed into it, but like he didn't want to do it, then all of a sudden he wanted to do it and then he didn't want to do it again. And then he like, it just seemed to work like that. Like he, he didn't seem to know what his motivation was. Yeah. So they're, they're, this movie for as simple a premise as it is, is still a bit of a narrative mess. Yes. Yeah. And again, I think one pass could have solved all of this, like set up the stakes earlier, give Nicolas Cage just the bare minimum of an explanation as to what he's doing. (laughs) Just so we can understand him. They could have even just simplified it even further and had the uh, Slim Jim Chompin mechanic be like, you look like a guy that holds up your end of a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just needed something. Something. It needed something. Yeah. Or, again, if you don't even want him to talk, it could be as simple as someone from the town recognizing him. Maybe he's a, a man of, of legend at this point of like, you know, I heard stories of a man who wandered like into a the, town. The drifter. Yeah. Drifter who, once he makes a deal with someone... He honors that deal to the end and to the letter, you know, and he won't stop until the terms have been met. Like, I don't know, like something like that would have at least literally anything. (laughs) Yes. But it's just instead you spend an hour and a half going, why does he stop fighting the robot monsters to drink an energy drink and play pinball? I would love to understand this. Oh, then you add that unless it gets in the way of his pinball game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Something. But anything, um, I think we could take it a step further. Why was the pinball machine in the kitchen and not set up? But then it seemed to work. He didn't really seem like he had to fix it. It was just there with a tarp over it. Yeah, just had to plug it in. Yeah. And again, that seemed like that was going to be something. Maybe like, yeah, I just thought they were really setting up something. You're You're setting up a clear pattern, but seemingly for no reason or you could even use like because most pinball machines have a series of goals that you have to knock down and so they could have done some parallel structure with him knocking down the goals each time he knocks a goal down in the pinball game you know or clears a goal he kills another one of the um animatronic robots or again i mean i don't know make the animatronic robots work Make it so they still have some kind of kid's birthday party logic that maybe instead of pinball, it's skee-ball. And if he wins enough tickets, they have to honor them or something like like there is actually some reason that he's trying to get the high score. Right. It's just it, it could have used a little bit more. Yes. So. I think we hit on most of the narrative problems of the movie. Yep. Uh, so. Some of the cinematic issues I had with the movie is I felt that the editing in a lot of the fight scenes was real jarring. Yeah, there was a couple times where it I thought it was going to be a really great moment. Like it seemed like they were setting it up. You know, a, a perfect example is like the end when it's Nicolas Cage is going to score off against Willie and he's he's holding his bag of cans and he's got like a stick, I think, or something. Yeah, a burlap sack full of, full of uh, energy drinks and two sticks taped together and he and so you get this shot where it's like they're both 
on each side of the the frame, they're staring each other down. It's like from the side, we see both of them, and then they're charging the street at each fighter other. shot, basically. Yeah, street fighter shot. Then they're charging at each other, and then he swings the pool cue, and then it's just like right when you're so excited because this is what you've been waiting the whole movie to watch. Then yeah, it gets really. The editing gets really crazy. It's a very shaky cam. It's hard to track what's happening. Yeah, the fight uh, choreography. And sometimes it almost feel, felt like they changed film stocks for the fights to give them like a different sort of ethereal quality to them. And like that didn't work for me. Well, also, they were just really hard to follow just visually just watching them. They were so jerky and so shaky uh, and and kept quick editing that like they they felt disorienting instead of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> which um, that which I'll say this: we spent a lot of time talking about the narrative reasons that it bothered me. I think that this is a bigger issue for this movie because again, it's it's a great yeah, premise. You know, it's because when you go to a movie wanting to see Nick Cage kill a bunch of animatronic robots. If the dots aren't connected in a perfect way, you kind of forgive it if he kills some robots. And, yeah, and if you really enjoy it. Like, that's the thing. If you're going to be premise-based, if you can be so fun in that premise, everything else will be forgiven. Like, if you can just make it a ridiculously fun time. And I think they were close, but I don't think... I think they missed the mark on the actual fight choreography and the way that it's edited. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, there were a couple of just logical inconsistencies that irked me, but it's a little nitpicky. Like just like the way it was cut and edited, it looked like uh, Willie the Weasel didn't cut the sheriff in half, but like punched her so hard he split her in half. <laughs> yes. Um, and if he has that level of power. Like, there's no reason that he, Nicolas Cage, should have stood as much of a chance as he did. Right. Yeah. Like, if you'd made, like, I think it, it could have just been an editing issue. Like, maybe the intent was that he, you know, used his claws to cut her in half, which is reasonable because he had huge claws. Yeah. But it was just edited so weird. It looked like he punched her in half. Yeah. Which he, was cool. Yes. No, he's able to rip her in half with one blow, but then he beats the shit out of Nicolas Cage for a while and doesn't kill him and like slashes him with the claws and all that yeah no i think that's fair uh the other one and this is just dumb was when uh willie's wonderland explodes even though nick cage is driving away i thought you that... see the reflection of this explosion in his sunglasses yes yeah <laughs> i what? had that same that same thought yeah he's yeah, he's driving away from the building, but yeah, so it should be, it should have been his rear view mirror, but instead they did his sunglasses for some reason. It, it looked, it was a cool shot. It looked cool. Made no sense. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, those were my big, like, sort of cinematic issues. I think let's. Let's talk about how fun this movie was. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. I think you towed that line. I felt like you were almost like I, I didn't want us to get too into. I never want to be like too nitpicky of like when you turn into the guy from The Simpsons who's like, might understand this as a magic xylophone. <laughs> like, you know, we don't want to be genius right. at work. No, we don't want to be that guy. But yeah, um, 
Yeah, but the, I, I don't know. The the reflection in the sunglasses that just like that just doesn't make sense. No, yeah. it lo- it was a cool shot, but needed a little bit more connective tissue. Yes. All right. So well, let's pivot. This movie's a lot of fun. This movie's a ton of fun. Nicholas yeah. Cage. It is. It's what's on the tin. Nicholas Cage beating a bunch of animatronic robots to the death. Yeah. And just, I, I mean, I, I do love all of the logic of it. I love him beating up the robots. I love him putting the robots in garbage bags and stacking them up outside. Like, I thought that was a really clever idea. I liked his little pinball dance. I mean, I, his I performance, love the pinball dance. Yeah, his performance is great from start to finish. Like, even even with as little as he's asked, I, I enjoyed all of it. I also enjoyed him changing his shirt. I thought that yeah, was he, a, whenever his shirt got dirty, he always went and got a clean shirt, which, again, is one of those things where I wish they had like made the character just make a little bit more sense. But I still loved that just as an individual choice. Yeah, like that was fun. Um, I love the look that he gives the two guys when they show up to expecting to find his body. Yeah. And he just takes the keys and leaves. Mm hmm. Because they're like literally like, what What do we do now? <laughs> yeah, all of that was good. Uh, no, he he was really great. The And also, man, those... I So I don't know what your experience is. The really funny thing is I had a number... So I did theater in high school. A number of my friends in high school actually worked at Chuck E. Cheese, which is, I think, who gets that job is oh yeah high school theater kids and i the funny thing is i remember talking to them about how much they did not like that job and how much they did not like being in the costume but man i thought of them fondly and i i chuck e cheese is creepy and the animatronic robots are creepy and so leaning into that is a very smart idea i think that it's evidence that every child who went to one of those birthday parties is scarred in some way and are, are like processing it through movies like Willy's Wonderland. Yeah, like the the Chuck E. Cheese in my hometown had this like cheese maze underneath the stage. <laughs> whereas like you just crawl through the holes in the cheese, but you could still hear the songs and stuff. So it was very unnerving. Yeah. No. And the worst was that because so that that's a, the one thing that they didn't do in the movie, which is fine, is there was the band which was robots. And then there was a person in the costume who walked around, you know, but like, it's the band that was creepy. Like, oh, they, yeah, because they were uncanny Valley, almost human, but very much not human. And right. Just all jerky motion. That's the other thing that's really funny, too, is that, you know, the better CGI gets and the more we rely on computer graphics, you always lose that. Like to me, what was always terrifying is jerky, not quite right movements. Yeah. And that's something that um, this movie I thought did. Yes. No, this movie understood exactly why a place like Chuck E. Cheese is terrifying. <laughs> and the suit performers I thought did a great, their like pantomime was excellent. Yeah. I also, I really enjoyed in when we get the explanation that it's like this serial killer and his like demented killer. He friends. essentially Chucky's them all. Yeah. But they also did a good job of you don't see much. And I maybe even would have loved to see them play it up more. But you actually get glimpses of the people. And then you can kind of see like which one became which character <laughs> like right. a little bit. 
Uh, which I'm sure those probably were the actors in the suits, like, cause they, you know, they're just in the one shot, but it's like, I like that, that like, we kind of got to see who the people were. Uh, and, and yeah, there, I mean, all of the, the monsters were really creepy looking. <laughs> I really liked yeah. the one like Tinkerbell looking one. Uh, Sarah, the siren, I think her name was. Yeah. Sarah, the siren was really great. Um, I like nighty night cause I liked yeah. the name one. Yeah. Also, I mean, he impaled the guy with a sword, so that... And that was... Good. I mean, that is such a classic jump scare horror movie thing, and they did it well. Uh, Tito the Turtle was another great one, mm-hmm. who only spoke Spanish and just, like, said things like, ow, my balls. Like, I don't know, that just made me chuckle. Yeah, Tito who gets the final... Uh, as he's... As Nicolas Cage is driving away from the explosion and seeing it in his glasses, the last thing he does is runs down... Tito the turtle yeah um yeah that was cool um yeah this it was just fun monsters and and they were all different enough that they like felt different like the chameleon was also pretty cool and I liked how like she was trying to like con the one kid I thought that was great yeah so the 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 one thing is like this one kid is hiding and then she sort of is like i'm different from the other ones like i just want to talk to you trapped me i can help you and then like i have questions like you probably have questions about like what it's like to die and be a a spirit i'll answer them like it that was great like i I really very well done yeah and she was just lying yes well because the second that then Liv showed up she just kills that kid right just but by wrapping her uh, prehensile tongue around his neck and snapping it. Yeah. So, no, all of that, that was... one of the better kid deaths, too. I think that was. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, but yeah, like, I enjoyed all that. Yeah, like you said, I think they could have maybe heightened the deaths a little bit more, maybe teased them out a little bit more. Like, they almost happened too fast, but... Yeah, that was one thing, like, in this, I know we're in the pivot portion, but, like, all the teenagers died, and I'm like, there's still 40 minutes left? Yeah. Yeah, which they should have... And I thought they filled it well, because they delved into the backstory a little bit. Um, You got Beth Grant, who I always love. I think she's a great actress. I think she does that type of role excellently. She's the Sparkle Motion mom from Donnie Darko, if you, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to place that, and if you don't recognize the name. Yeah, she's in Winter's Bone. Like, she's been in a ton of things as... If there is an unpleasant mom, uh, oftentimes in some part of rural part of America, like... Beth Grant uh, is one of the go-tos. Yeah, she she's great. And she's really good in this role of just, yeah, one, because it's Beth Grant, you immediately know that you're not going to like this character, <laughs> which is no offense to her because I love her, but I love no, her. She's, she's so good at like playing that role. Of just playing terrible characters uh, that you despise. Of the like Bible thumping, whatever, whatever. Not, not that she's that in this movie, but like that's the type of, that's her sort of, her milieu, her niche. Well, she also, and I think what is true in this movie, also is just usually characters that believe something very strongly to the point of danger. Yes. Like, Um, are so clear in their convictions that they are rigid in the way that they see them. Yeah, just unwavering in their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, she's really good at that. Yeah, she, and she was, she was just as good in this as she hasn't been in anything. Mm hmm. Uh, Emily Tosta, who played Liv, I really liked. Yeah, like I said, I think she got the clearest arc. 
I think her character made a lot of sense. And and also she got called upon again that she was the one in the clip from the beginning uh to to fill Which in you the find gaps out later. Yeah, to fill in the gaps of what was happening. Uh because yeah, it turns out that she has been through this before. <laughs> like she that she her, her parents her family was on a road trip and you know, they threw out the nail strip to blow out the tires so they could kidnap the family to murder them. But somehow she survived. Mhm. And was raised by Beth Grant's character, Officer or Sheriff Lund. And that's why one of the first things you see in the movie is her trying to burn down Willy's Wonderland. Because mm-hmm. she gets it. It's a den of evil. Yeah. Which, it being an animatronic birthday party restaurant, wasn't enough to give you a clue that it's a den of evil. <laughs> this one was. Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought I, I liked her performance. Like, I think all of her reactions felt earned and real because like she was it was just enough. Like, I'm over this mixed with I'm terrified by this. Like it was I thought she played it really well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One one other thing we haven't talked about that I did enjoy is there was some really delightful musical choices in this. Yes. As well, uh, which I mean, first of all always a fan of the song that they chose to pay the money for <laughs> that was definitely probably the bulk of the budget i think went to getting nick cage and to getting this song was they play Freebird at the end yes they, they just play Freebird. uh but uh, they, all but, for that but then they but the rest of the music is very what would be played in a place like chuck e cheese and so like the animatronic there's, murder robots are killing people while head, shoulders, knees, and toes is playing. Yeah, there's a, an extended fight scene set to head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Yeah, so that, I'm all for that stuff. Like that. Yeah, and they could have, like, maybe had him hitting those parts in time with the words if they really wanted to, like, take well, that next yeah, step. Yeah, I think, again, to, to your point, I think they could have executed a lot of the fight choreography a little bit more elevated, I think, than they did, you know, a little bit clearer. But, yeah, even just doing it was fun. But, yeah, if they could have hit that to the music, that could have Like, been if it's a fun. headshot, a shoulder shot, a knee kick, a toe stomp. Yeah. Or, like, he catches a foot, breaks the toes or something. Any number. There's a bunch of ways you could go with that. Yes. And I think it would have been cool. It was still fun. And the very, like, just the weird, like, country drawl version of head, shoulders, knees, and toes that they, like, I'm sure recorded for this. I'm sure it wasn't a pre-existing version of the song. Yeah. But yeah. I'm also sure that that's license-free, that that's in the public domain. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure (laughs) that, uh. And, like, the, like, not quite happy birthday birthday song they really nailed. Yeah, well, just again, I think there was a lot of really great world building of like, obviously, this is a riff on Chuck E. Cheese, but they, you know, there was like a Willy's Wonderland theme song. There was a birthday song. There was head, shoulders, knees and toes like they They definitely built out like what you understood had this not been a place where people were murdered and it just been a normal creepy uh, children's birthday restaurant. You you very much understand how it functioned. Yeah. And I think all of that was good. Right. Um, It's a small note, but like, I love that he finished cleaning. Like that the place is spick and span when they get in. Yeah. Again, I like I said, I, I just almost wish we had understood it a little bit more. But as a note, the the instinct to end it with he did what was asked of him, you know, 
Like he he was asked to spend the night and clean the place, and he did. He lived up to his end of the bargain. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then like the like the two final scares with the siren jumping on the back of the car and lighting the gas tank on fire, killing the sheriff or the owner, Tex McAdoo, and the mechanic guy. Like that was fun. And then just running down uh, Tito the Turtle with the with the car is sort of the final shot of the movie. Also, shout out to Tex McAdoo as just a name. Yeah, Tex McAdoo is, is right up there uh, <laughs> with the all-time great names in Nicolas Cage movies. Right up there with Memphis Reigns. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, they seem like they would be across the table from one another on a riverboat gambling somewhere. <laughs> like- right. Or that Tex McAdoo needs Memphis Reigns to steal a bunch of cars. Oh, yeah. Tex McAdoo is definitely putting putting the strain on to Kip. To, to, uh, yeah, he's, he's putting his thumb on Kip Reigns to yeah. make sure that his, his, his older brother Memphis uh, <laughs> takes care of business. Yeah. I Also, that Willie's Wonderland shirt is, is pretty sharp. Yeah, I was like, ooh, do I want, like, yeah, I know, if right? I find this online, I'm going to buy it, so I'm not going to look. <laughs> Look, I just, I know we were a little, a little harsh at the beginning, but I think it's clear we love this movie. So if the makers of Willy's Wonderland want to send some merch, I would gladly sport that. But yeah. I, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, this, like, it's not a perfect movie, but man, is it a fun movie. No, it really is. And and I enjoyed it. And I, I feel good. I feel like it set a good tone for, for Nicholas Cage, Cage Month. Month. Yeah. Of the sky feels the limit from here. I think we're we're driving away from this movie. The explosion behind us is in our sunglasses, and the whole world is in front of us for the rest of this month. So, so I'm I pretty. Mean, I'd say if anything, we're ready to motorboat the son of a bitch. Always, we always are. <laughs> so never forget that. Uh, but yeah, I I think that's it, man. I th- I think we did it. Yeah, I I I know we did because I. I get why this movie's maligned, but man, is there plenty of silver linings to find fun in it. Yeah. And really, isn't that what you want in a ridiculous maligned Nick Cage movie? If you don't, you're doing it wrong. If you don't, this is going to be a long month. It's going to be... T- tune in in October. <laughs> but please, no, keep listening. Please. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's the podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to to ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.com.